Good morning. The, the reading this morning is in Genesis chapter 11. If you want to follow that in the Bibles, you can find that on page 12, page 13. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27, going through to chapter 12, verse 9. And it's entitled, Abram's Family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscan. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. We're going to start a new series in the life of Abraham, um, which will take us to about Christmas. Now, I wonder um, if you've thought about the topic of being a friend of God. So three uh, Bible authors call Abraham the friend of God. And the message of the gospel is, whoever you are, whatever age or stage you are, um, you also can be a friend of God. I want to look this morning at um, the text that was just read to us and, and look at what it means to be a friend of God. And if you look at verse, verses 2 and 3, which really are the heart of this text this morning, there's a word that comes up four times, and it refers to what happens when we become a friend of God. And it's the word bless or, or blessed. To be blessed means to be under God's protection and his favor. 
To be cursed is the opposite. It means to be removed from God's protection and, fa- and favor. But when you become a friend of God, you become blessed. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. Now, this text is very important in the history of Above Bar Church, actually. Uh, John Risbridger, our previous minister, spoke often about how Above Bar Church is blessed in order to be a blessing to the city. We're not cisterns of blessing, just holding the blessing, but we're aqueducts of blessing, carrying the blessing to the cities, which is why uh, we want to support the work of Love Southampton. Uh, You may have been handed a brochure here. There's a few highlights here that are quite startling. Uh, One is that over the last couple of years, 2.9 million pounds worth of food that was going to be thrown away has been redistributed in the city. It's one of the ways that the churches here are blessing the city, and you can read a lot about other ways here in this booklet. I want to look at, first of all, how Abraham, or Abram as he was known here in the text, was powerfully blessed. Now, Genesis 12 is a very significant chapter in the Bible. It's a hinge. Genesis 1 to 11, you've got primeval history. Genesis 12 to 50, you've really got patriarchal history. Genesis chapter 3 to 11 really unpack the terrible effects of sin and describe to us a broken world in rebellion against God. Chapter 3, humans are hiding from God. Chapter 4, one brother murders another. Chapter 5, the repeated phrases, and he died. This person lived this length of time, and he died, and he died, and he died. Death had become a thing in the human race. The wages of sin is death. Chapter 6 to 8, we read about the overwhelming violence and disregard for human life that had captivated the human race and how a broken-hearted God reacted with the judgment of the flood. And then in chapter 11, humans try to exalt themselves, build a city, build this tower of Babel. They're confused, and again, God comes down because people are exalting themselves in the place of the one true God. In these chapters, there's one ray of hope, and it's through a bloodline through Adam and Eve's third son, Seth. Adam and Eve had this son, and through the family of Seth, the knowledge of the one true God was passed through the generations. Noah came from the line of Seth. Enoch, who walked with God, came from the line of Seth, and so does this family, Terah and Abram. But at the end of Genesis 11, the family of Terah, Abraham's father, they're living in Ur of the Chaldees, which we think is modern-day Iraq. They're worshiping moon gods, building probably ziggurats, and uh, archaeologists have found death pits at the foot of these ziggurats where children were sacrificed to the gods. It, it, it seems like the knowledge of the one true God was lost. We take monotheism, belief in one God, for granted today. But there it seems that there was no monotheism. Joshua 24, 
tells us this. Joshua is speaking to the Israelites, and he says, long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the river, and they worshiped other gods. So spiritually, it seems like the candle had flicked out for even this line of Seth. But not only spiritually, but physically also, because we read in the text that Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. And, and so this seems like this bloodline is going to stop. Dallas Willard, the uh, fantastic author of many books, says that God's address is endoftherope.com. And it seemed like the human race was at the end of the rope. Spiritually and physically, the candle had flickered out. And this is the power of the blessing. This is the power of the call because it comes right now at the end of the rope for the human race. Now, being a pastor, I've had the privilege and blessing of hearing lots of people's stories. I've met people over the years who've been at the end of their rope, and it's there that God has met them and powerfully blessed them and powerfully called them. I've met people who've been living on the streets, addicted to substances, having to escape their country, leaving everything. And if you find the sermon boring, wait till the end because you're going to hear an amazing story right at the end of someone in that category. But where you're at the end of your rope, God is there to bless you. Maybe you've come to Southampton and you're new and you've left a lot behind and this text rings for you. Go from your country, your people and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. God sometimes asks people to leave one situation so he can bring them to another Sometimes he does that so that he brings them to a better situation, sometimes. Sometimes God gives us more than we leave behind, sometimes. But different people are asked to leave different things. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to, to leave behind anything we're asked to leave behind by God. In the words of the missionary Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But what all disciples of Jesus have in common is they've left some things behind to embrace the claims of God on their lives. But in return, they've been powerfully blessed. And so was Abraham and Sarah here. But also radically blessed. By radically, the word radical means like everything changes. And so here for Abraham and Sarah, everything changes. First of all, this blessing for them, this call for them, was personally radical. Let's look at uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Get out, go, and I will bless you. In the old King James Version, 1611, get thee out of thy country. It's a reflexive verb. Get yourself out. 
And in, in verse 31 of chapter 11, Terah, the father of Abram and his family, had set out from Canaan, but it seemed they'd got distracted halfway in Haran and settled there for some time. It's not enough to come halfway with God. This is a radical call. I, I wonder if there are some people here gathered this morning who you believe in God, but you've sort of come halfway. Maybe you need to go to the Alpha course to kind of really commit, because this call is, is radical. Maybe you just come every now and again to church, but really, you're kind of sitting on the fence, hedging your bets. I just want to show you how radical the call of God is, and this is how we become a friend of God. We, we surrender. God says, get out. Get out of your old way of thinking and acting, obey me, become my friend, and know true blessing. There's an old Keith Green song, I love Keith Green, and it goes like this. Jesus commands us to go, but we go the other way. So he carries the burden alone while his children are busy at play, feeling so called to stay. But to receive the blessing of God and to be God's friend requires this radical surrender to his will. God says, get out, and I'll show you later where you are going to go. Later on in the story, in chapter 22, Abraham has this son, Isaac, and God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, onto the mountain, and it's, it's like he's going to sacrifice his son. And Abraham must be thinking, how is this going to work? And God's saying, go, and I'm going to show you later. Go to the top of the mountain. Why? Why? I'll show you later. And this is what it's like being a friend of God, living by faith. Sometimes there are things that we, we don't understand. But Christianity is a quest. It's not an adventure. An adventure is where you go somewhere and you come back. We went to Thailand for five years and we came back. But Christianity is a quest. A quest is like Lord of the Rings. You go on a quest where you either die or you're changed forever. This is how radical it is. This is the radical nature of the call and the blessing. Hebrews 11, 8, the writer to the Hebrews says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. See how radical it is? Personally radical. But this call is also missionally radical. Because God says to, to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the nations. Becoming a Christian is to be so changed that we don't now just make decisions based on what is best for us and our comfort and happiness and success. But we ask the question, okay, God, you've blessed me. Where can I now serve so as to be a blessing to others? And I guess a key lesson in life that I'm still learning is that if we seek to just be blessed, we'll end up empty. But if we seek to be a blessing, we end up receiving more blessing ourselves. Just as we've benefited from the grace of God, God wants us to be agents of grace. 
This call is missionally radical, as well as being personally radical. I want to unpack that now and think about how we and Abraham was called to be blessed, to be a blessing. Now, for Abraham, everything had to do with him having children. Everything was centered on the son of promise through which ultimate blessing would come to the nations. But Abraham was old, very old. Let me just read the text here from verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. We'll find out more about Lot in the weeks to come. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. Some Bible commentators say that the people they acquired was the people that believed the message. So Abram was already being missional, perhaps. And they set out from there and went to the land of Canaan and arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar. Altars are very important. We'll hear more about that in the weeks to come as well. But the, the, everything for Abraham centered on the son of promise. And the son was actually not born for another 25 years. But Isaac points us to the real son. And we also are called to trust in the son of promise. Abraham and Sarah had to look forward. We today, we look back to the son of promise, Jesus. The key to becoming a friend of God, to knowing this blessing in our life, is trusting in the son of promise. They trusted looking forward. We trust looking back. But every page of this book is about the son of promise. And to know true blessing and to be able to offer true blessing, you need to know this son of promise, not just know about him, know him to become the friend of God. Know him in the wilderness of life sometimes in order to receive and offer blessing. That's what it means to be a friend of God. We also see that Abraham and we too are blessed through all the seasons of life. I'm introducing the series here, so I'm talking about chapters 12 right through to 25. That's the narrative of Abraham in our Bibles. You know, here he's called Abram, which the word kind of means daddy. And the word Abraham kind of means big daddy, <laughs> father of a multitude. And Abraham lived a big daddy of a life. He was involved in several hostage situations and deliverances. He told some big lies, as we're going to see. He, he exemplified extraordinary faith at times. And faith in the son of promise that, that didn't actually materialize for, for 25 years. Sarah also went through incredible seasons. She went through a season of being very cynical 
We're going to see this in, in chapter 18, in that she had visitors. God came to her house, and you know what she did? Laughed in his face. God said, you're going to have a son this time next year. She laughed in his face, cynically. But in this, in this friendship with God, we go through seasons, ups and downs. Sometimes we're really trusting. Other times we're just about clinging by faith. But in this friendship, God always stays constant. Despite our lack of faith at times, despite our screwing up at times, he never changes. His grace continues whether we're in a bad season or a good season, because you can fall over in the hand of God, but you can never fall out, because underneath are the everlasting arms. We're going to see that in the story of Abraham. And linked to that, we're going to see that, that Abraham and Sarah were blessed in everyday life, just as we are. Abraham was a friend of God for a hundred years. He was called when he was 75, and he Genesis 25 tells us that he died when he was 175, and by that time he'd had at least eight children. And the account of Abraham starts with blessing, and you're going to see that it ends with blessing, and the blessing is transferred to Isaac and then Jacob. Now, God tends not to address us in such a dramatic way as he met Abraham and Sarah, but he does bless us in everyday life. We just sung, even when we don't see it, he's working. And that's true. And he's blessed us with the vocations we have. Abraham and Sarah, even though they were living in tents, they, they knew that they were where God had meant them to be. That's what they were trusting. And folks, God has called you to your particular vocation, your particular skill. Maybe you're in the biggest vocation of all right now, which is parenthood. And God wants to say to you this morning, I'm with you in all the mind-numbing routine and sometimes frustration of being a parent, but I've given you these children, and I love them, and I love you, and I've given you this great calling. I've powerfully blessed you, and I've radically blessed you, and here you are. I want you to be a blessing to them, and then they can be a blessing to others. For others of you, perhaps God is going to cause you to be a blessing in another culture. And you're going to move. And maybe you're saying, I can't handle that. I'll never cope with that. It's going to destroy me. But the, the story of Abraham is here to encourage you that he will bless you. And he will give you what you need emotionally and spiritually and physically because you're a friend of God. And this is what it means to be a friend of God. To walk with him by faith, sometimes to another place. The last thing I want to talk about, again, looking at the whole sweep as I'm introducing this series, is that Abraham was blessed with the big picture. God was going to use them and their bloodline to bless the world, to bless the world with revelation of who God is, to reveal himself to the world, but also to bless the world through the son of promise that is coming. Now, he's also blessed us, if you're a friend of God, with the big picture by revealing himself through his word. And this gives your life meaning and purpose. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this because, well, I have. I've seen people dying without purpose and without meaning. And it's, it's heartbreaking 
History, in many ways, is like a good play. I don't know if you've gone to see The Lion King or something else recently. And when you go to watch a play, you generally ask certain questions about the play. Okay, who's the hero? Who's the villain? What's the kind of plot? Who wrote this play? And then you can enter into the story in some meaningful way. Likewise, every day, people are born here onto the stage of history, but they don't know who the hero is. They don't know who the villain is. They don't know who wrote the plot. And people live their lives without meaning and without purpose. They don't know who the author of life is, what the cos great cosmic struggle that we're all playing a part in is. See, apart from revelation, we're, le we're left with lives that, that kind of lack meaning and purpose. And maybe then people opt to just be the villain and, and, or, or, or just live among a, a brutally kind of despairing idea that there is no meaning in the world. The American author Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And folks, if you're a friend of God, God has revealed to you some of the why. He's revealed to you who wrote the plot. He's revealed to you who the hero is and who the villain is. And therefore, you've been given some of the big picture. What a blessing that is. Jesus Christ, the son of promise, says to each one of us, follow me and I'll be your Lord and I'll be your friend and I'll bless you. And I'll make your life a blessing to all the nations. What an awesome quest that is.